Welcome to the Gospel Saves Podcast, a program that discusses all matters related to the Christian faith. Please visit thegospelsaves.me. You can also visit The Gospel Saves on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. What does the Bible say about the Lordship of Jesus Christ? To begin, we'll talk about how Jesus is called Lord hundreds of times in the New Testament and what exactly that title implies. And then we'll consider how, though Jesus was Lord, he submitted himself to God the Father, and we'll discuss the reason why he did so. And then finally, we'll wrap up by considering very briefly how God declared Jesus Lord by virtue of his resurrection from the dead. Many people called him Lord during his manifestation on earth. Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, predicted his son would go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, Luke 1.77. The angel who appeared to the shepherds a few months later announced, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Two blind men sitting by the road going out of Jericho cried out to Jesus, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David, Matthew chapter 20, verse 30. After watching many of his disciples turn away after a difficult teaching where he tells his disciples they need to eat his flesh and drink his blood, after many of them turned away from him, Jesus asks his apostles, Do you want to leave as well? Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. John 6, 68-69. When Jesus asked Martha if she believed on him, she said, Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is come into the world. Jesus did not shy away from the title of Lord. A couple of chapters later, in John chapter 13, verse 13, he says to his disciples, You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. The thief on the cross, just a day later, asks Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So from before his birth until the last moments of his life here on earth, people called Jesus Lord and often connected that title with his designation as the descendant of David. Which leads us to Jesus' inquiry in Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 through 45. Now, during the week leading up to his crucifixion, Jesus spent his days in the temple both teaching and entertaining the attempts to trap him in his words. The Pharisees asked him if they should pay taxes to Caesar. The Sadducees come up with this very elaborate hypothetical scenario in order to test him about his beliefs on the resurrection. The scribes wanted to know what was the greatest commandment. Now, Jesus responded to all of their questions with great wisdom and aplomb, but he wraps up all of this by turning the tables and asking them a question. How does David in the Spirit call his descendant the Christ, Lord? Now, the Jews believed that descendants were always inferior to their forefathers. Therefore, the Christ, who was descended from David, should be lesser than David. David should be greater than the Christ. And yet, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David calls the Christ 
Lord. The Lord Jehovah said to my Lord, referring to the Christ, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus concludes, if David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? Well, the answer is obvious to us who are talking about this 2,000 years later. And the answer was obvious to the Pharisees, which is why they didn't respond. The Christ must be more than just the son of David in order for the righteous king to call him Lord. And this connection gets even deeper as we think about how the Jews use the word Lord. As you read the Old Testament, have you noticed the word Lord in all capital letters in our English Bibles? Now, the Hebrew word for God is YHWH, what is often called the Tetragrammaton or the Tetragram, four letters that represent the name of God. Now, the Jews refrained from saying God's name out loud, lest they be guilty of misusing or profaning his name. For example, Josephus, writing in the late first century AD, expresses an unwillingness to write about God's holy name, and when he quotes or paraphrases Old Testament statements that include the tetragram, he uses Lord or other titles instead. So in order to avoid blasphemy, the Jews substituted the word Lord for what we might say in English, Yahweh or Jehovah. Thus, the Hebrew word Adonai or Lord was commonly understood to represent God. By the time Jesus was born, the Jews practiced this custom across the ancient world. Therefore, the title Lord was understood to be equivalent with God. English translators adopted this practice of substituting the word Lord for the tetragram YHWH, or what we often call Yahweh or Jehovah. So the bottom line is this. When the New Testament calls Jesus Lord, it is acknowledging that Jesus is more than just a man. He is more than just the mere descendant of David. They are asserting his divinity, his deity. They are asserting that he is the Son of God. So from before his manifestation until his death, Folks called Jesus Lord. He said they were right to call him Lord, since David himself called the Christ Lord. And by calling him Lord, they acknowledged his identity as God. Now, what's interesting about Jesus is, even though he was God, even though he was the Son of God, he submitted to God the Father. Jesus consistently refers to his Father as greater than him. When the rich young ruler wants to know, what must I do to inherit eternal life, he calls Jesus good, and Jesus asks, why do you call me good? There is no one good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. No one is good but God. In John 14, 28, he says to his apostles, you have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And to one of the women who witnessed him risen from the dead, he says, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and your God. So in a variety of ways throughout his ministry, Jesus refers to God the Father as greater than himself. And it's also worthwhile to note that the Son did not act independently of the Father. Jesus never did something of his own accord. He says in John chapter 5, verse 19, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. 
So the Son followed the example of the Father. Jesus did not act independently of the Father. He followed the Father's example. And this also extended to keeping the Father's will. A few verses later in John 5.30, he says, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So Jesus followed the example of his heavenly Father and carried out his will. Now this leads us to an interesting question. How can Jesus be divine and yet submit to the will of his heavenly Father? Or to put it another way, how can Jesus be God and yet submit himself to God? Well, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8 offers an answer. Paul tells us that before Jesus became a man, Jesus, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. Or in other words, he did not cling to his equality with God or hold on to it at all costs. He was willing to relinquish it. He was willing to let it go. Instead, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Jesus divested himself of an equal footing with God and became a man. And because he was in part a man, he humbled himself by, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, though he was equal with God, chose to be submissive to God the Father so that he could save our souls through the cross. That's the message. So even though he was equal with God, he divested himself of that equality so that our souls could be saved. He followed the example and kept the will of his heavenly Father, and he consistently points to the superiority of his heavenly Father at all times, which leads us to my final point, which leads me to my final point. Upon his resurrection, God declared Jesus to be Lord. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, the next section after Paul talks about what Jesus did for us, he goes on to say, Therefore God also has highly exalted him, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." So because Jesus was humble to the point of death, God has exalted him. He has given him the name that is above every name, and that name is Jesus Christ. He is Lord, and at that name every knee will bow, every knee in heaven and every knee on earth. Everyone will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he was given this position upon his resurrection from the dead. As Peter points out in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when he made Jesus Lord and Christ, he put all things under his feet. Jesus is the preeminent being in the universe. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23, Paul is offering a prayer on behalf of the Ephesians, and he wants them to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
So because Jesus was obedient to the point of death, because he accepted the role of the humble servant and was willing to die on the cross for our sins, God has seated him at his right hand. He has given him all authority in heaven and earth. This is what he says to his apostles in Matthew 28, verse 19. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I have all authority. And all of this is by virtue of his resurrection from the dead. So Jesus Christ is the preeminent being in the universe. So as I draw this to a close, let me give you just a few points to remember. People recognize Jesus' deity by calling him Lord hundreds of times in the New Testament. And though he was the Son of God, Jesus divested himself of equality with God and submitted himself to the will of God, both by following his Father's example and by keeping his Father's commands. And because he was faithful and obedient to the point of death, God raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand, and declared to the entire world that Jesus Christ is Lord. Thanks for listening to the Gospel Saves podcast. If you found this program useful, please visit thegospelsaves.me to find blogs, videos, and Bible studies. If you enjoyed the music on this podcast, please visit acapeldridge.com. You can also find Acapeldridge on Apple Music, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook. May God bless you as you seek to know His perfect will.